Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad y'all are here. How are we doing? All right. Good to see y'all. I'm, I'm so thankful for, uh, for our band and, and uh, worship leaders leading us this morning. Adrian and his team just crushed it. Um, why don't we give God thanks for them? We didn't really have much of a chance uh, to do that. I'm honestly blown away by the, the, just the talent and the heart that we get to worship uh, alongside every, every Sunday here at The Story. Hey, if you're new here, just a, a brief word to say a special welcome to you. I'm so glad you uh, mustered the courage to darken the doors of a brand new church to you. And, and I, I know it can be weird to visit a new church, and I hope everybody's nice to you. And if they're not, um, they don't really belong here. Okay, so just, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I hope, I hope your experience here is nice and, and it's, uh, you, you, uh, you come back around. You, you do need to know that you're visiting the story during an extraordinarily um, disruptive moment in our life as a church. We've never been through anything like this before. As of today, we have five Sundays left in this building. <sighs> I know, that's me breathing hard. Like, okay, it's gonna be all right, right? Just tell me it's going to be all right. Okay, so five Sundays left, and um, we are going to be moving this campus, not our Timber Grove campus, but this campus, to a brand new home that, uh, that we are very hopeful and optimistic we'll have uh, a deal sealed up on uh, within the next uh, week or so, and we'll be, we'll be able to announce to everybody where we're going. We have a pretty good idea where we're going. I just don't want y'all to think there's like no plan at all at this point. We just don't want to jump the gun and announce something without... The, uh, the ink drying on those documents, all right? So anybody that's in real estate can give me an amen. You just don't talk about it until it's a done deal. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. In the meantime, um, given that we have five Sundays left and our last worship service in this building, which has been such a great home to us, and our last service is part of St. Luke's, which has been such a great mother church to us, um, and, and we're eternally grateful for, for the, the last almost seven years that we've had here, Christmas Eve will be the last service that we have in this, in this room, um, which will be truly emotional and beautiful. So I hope y'all can make it. Um, so, you know, b- beyond that, we're, we're seeking the, the guidance of, of God. And, and, and as we get ready to transition, what, what we're doing as a community is we're banding together for something called the Transition Fund that's going to help us really power the church through the new year and start us off right as a brand new entity, a brand new nonprofit corporation and church in our own right, rather than just a ministry of another church. We're going out on our own, and we want to do this well and be good stewards of everything God's given us. So uh, we don't talk about money a lot because I I believe that all the statistics show that uh, it's preachers like me who talk too much about money that turns a lot of people away from the church. So we don't even pass the plate around. Have you noticed? We don't even pass the plates. That's why some of you come to this church. So there's no plates being passed, and we haven't passed the plate since March of 2020. This is the time for us all to come together, though, and the need is real and, and truly appreciated um, when, when you step forward and, and play your part in this. So what we're seeking are commitments, not dollars right away. We just need to know how much you or your family can invest in this transition fund between now and the end of the year. What we're trying to do is raise enough money to cover our move, our moving costs, as well as the first quarter expenses. It's not that we don't plan to have money coming in in the first quarter, but it's just like we would rather start from the front foot and not the back. We're trying to be reasonable and, and good uh, stewards of, of what God gives us. So you can help us by uh, either visiting the link 
uh, on the screen right now, the story.church slash transition, or simply texting your first and last name and the amount you can give to the transition fund before the end of this calendar year. Sound good? Okay, I want to thank you because we announced this last week, and before the sermon was even over, we were getting commitments from people who were in the service. And normally, I would be offended that people were going to their phones during a message. In this case, it's totally excusable. It's totally fine, okay? This is the only time, all right? Um, but, uh, but I was so blessed by the response, and I know God's about to do something awesome. But I don't want to gloss over this moment that we're in, and that's why we, we decided to spend a few weeks just talking about change. Because change, as we said a couple weeks ago, is, is it's one of the only constants in life. And if your life isn't changing right now, you should be ready for it to change. It will change soon. Like there will be another wave of change, and it's either going to take you by surprise or you'll be ready for it. And so as, as followers of Jesus, what can we do to better prepare ourselves and those we're leading and those in our sphere of influence, right? How can we prepare ourselves and then to not just survive the next wave of change, but to thrive in it, and hopefully to get closer to God through it, so that it's not something that's a curse, but a blessing. God can make every season of change into a, a blessing to us. And so that's, that's kind of what, what I want to talk about today. And with this last um, installment of this series, I think it's important for us to talk about stress and anxiety. I don't think we could, in good conscience, wrap up a series on change without addressing the 300-pound gorilla in the room, which is anxiety and stress brought on by change, um, and, and how those things, stress and anxiety, affect us and threaten our relationship with God, for example. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today is anxiety and stress. And, uh, and some of y'all are like, well, this isn't for me because I'm a tough man. I don't have those things. This is for the ladies and the weak men. Like, all right, all right, guy. All right. So just get over yourself for a second if this isn't something that feels like it connects. And maybe sit with the reality that you're not that good at not being anxious. You're just really good at compartmentalizing. Because all of us deal with and struggle with anxiety in different ways and have different stress levers and anxiety triggers. And we can either deny that and lose the battle or prepare to, to face anxiety and overcome it, all right? So um, I, I think this is obviously an important conversation because it is something that is seemingly obvious that change brings on anxiety. And let, me, let me show this to you. This is 15, uh, the, the 15 most stressful events in a human being's life on average. So these are uh, statistics compiled by various researchers and experts in social sciences. Uh, and so uh, all 15 of these have one thing in common. All 15 of the most uh, stressful events in your life, from the death of a spouse, to divorce, to marital separation, they all have something in common, and it's not marriage, all right? Even though the, mo the three most stressful events of your life will be marriage-related. And number seven, and number nine, uh, maybe number 13, <laughs> um, probably 14, probably 12. Anyway, a lot of these are marriage-related which Paul tried to warn us about in 1 Corinthians 7 when he was like, some of y'all talking about getting married. I would recommend you stay single as I am. 
But if you can't keep your hands off each other, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So you can get married, just beware, it's going to be a struggle. Like that's an almost verbatim quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. Now what these really all have in common is change. All 15 of the most stressful events you'll ever go through in life are related to massive changes. What's really interesting to me about this chart is that not all of these changes that are the most stressful events in your life are negatives. Some of them are positives. Some of these things that happen to you, people will congratulate you for. And it's still some of the most stressful things you'll ever go through, right? Things like, um, like getting married. Everybody congratulates you for getting married. Everybody congratulates you for getting your marriage back together. Number nine, marital reconciliation. Everybody will, they'll throw you a party for retiring. I thought retirement was the end of anxiety. That's why you retire, right? No, apparently retirement is stressful too. And how many, how many of you have known someone who thought that retirement would feel one way? It turns out it felt something completely different. And then the expectation was so far from reality that it made the anxiety worse. Retirement, I think retirement's a sham, by the way. That's my personal, like my personal, my personal belief. So uh, pregnancy is something people congratulate you for. Extremely stressful, I would assume. Ladies, you can rebut that if you want to. I think that's true. Gain of a new family member. All these things are stressful, but they're good things. So it's not that you, by, having, by struggling with anxiety brought on by change, it's not that your life has to be this awful just this pit that you're in. You don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. It can be a lot of really good things happening to you, and you're still struggling with anxiety. I think that's just important to say because a lot of us struggle with anxiety and feel bad about it because our life's pretty good. And that just makes us more anxious. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy with all these happy things happening? Listen, the, the stress and anxiety brought on by change are not related to your happiness quotient. All right, so we're dealing with a different animal here. And I also want to offer this disclaimer and say from the outset that when I talk about anxiety today, there's a few of you that are fighting mightily anxiety, and, and you're fighting a clinical kind of anxiety that I have no expertise in, okay? So I don't want you to hear me saying something today as though it is supposed to replace your current treatment plan. Right? So God gives us medicine, God gives us therapists, God gives us these tools to address these things that are hindering us. And some of the things I'm going to share today are meant to be additional, supplemental, you know, alongside these other things that you're, that you're these other treatments that you're seeking. Okay? So uh, obviously, uh, we all struggle with anxiety brought on by change. Obviously, it has effects on our bodies and minds. Um, some of these effects, I hope y'all can see these, uh, from the brain all the way through to the immune system, reproductive system. What stress and anxiety do to your brain is really interesting. When you're under an incredible amount of stress and anxiety, your brain instinctively diverts resources like blood away from your reasoning center to your survival center. That's why when you're under a great amount of stress, you very rarely will make good decisions because your, the fight, flight, or freeze part of your brain has taken over. And, and that's by design, and I'll share more about why in a minute. But sometimes what we really need to do when we're under stress and anxiety is make good decisions, but we can't like we normally would because of how stress affects our brains. 
joints and muscle aches, we all know that. Um, we, we have um, digestive issues a lot of the time, hair loss, and I have, I have grown so many gray hairs this year. I can't even, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's depressing with all this, the stress of, of this move. So um, the reason we want to talk about this today is really related to our mission as a church. And here's what I mean. The story's mission is to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. And what this means for today's conversation is you have people in your life who may need to know or hear from you what difference Jesus makes where your anxiety and stress are concerned. Do you have an answer? Other than just, well, makes me feel good to go to church. Other than just, well, you shouldn't be worried. If you're a good Christian, suck it up, have faith. Do you have a a better answer than that as to the difference Jesus makes where stress and anxiety related to change? Are concerned. There's just a few things I want to cover today, uh, a few points on this, on this topic. The first is that stress and anxiety are not inherently sinful. Stress and anxiety are actually, in their purest form, God-given. Don't ever forget that God made you the way that you are. God made everything and called it good. The human tendency, the human brain's tendency to shift into survival mode while under stress or heavy anxiety is not Uh, it's not a bug, it's a feature. God designed us that way. And part of the reason God designed us that way is lost on us, because I think part of the reason God designed us that way is that historically speaking, until about a minute ago, historically, the, the human struggle to survive was a much different game than it is today. Human beings just recently got to the top of the food chain. Like animals used to chase us around. Like on the way to work, you would have to outrun something to survive the day. And now we put sweaters on them and leash them. And it's amazing what has happened. But you need to know that's a new experience for human beings. Like yesterday, historically speaking, human beings were scratching out survival by hunting and gathering and planting and harvesting and trying not to get hunted by saber-toothed tigers or stampeded by woolly man, whatever they were like, whatever they were afraid of, their fear was real and well-founded. Neighboring tribes coming over to behead them today. Like that's a real thing most of us don't face on the regular, all right? But we still have inherited from our ancestors this tendency to uh, be triggered, to be made anxious by our circumstances. And I think generally what happens is we react to our stimuli as though it's as intense as the stimuli used to be. So the reaction is the same. The circumstances are far different. It used to be, oh, the crops aren't coming in this year. I guess we're all going to die. And now it's like, oh, I got an 89 instead of a 90. My mom's going to kill me. Oh, I'm not going to graduate in the top 10. Like I, I needed to to get into that school that I wanted. I'm not going to get my first choice school. I'm not going to get that job. I'm not going to get that Partner, he doesn't love me like I love him, or she walked away from me, and I wanted something with her. I'm not going to have children because I'm infertile, or I'm not going to get the the, the dream life, the dream house, or I do have children, and they're not as smart as my friend's children are. Like all of these things that trigger us to anxiety, trigger us the same way that 
the predators and crops and threatening tribes used to. And so we treat, we, 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 we treat um, non-life-threatening stimuli as though they're life-threatening. And we fall for the lie that non-ultimate things are, in fact, ultimate things. And the longer we, it's almost like breaking a bone or spraining an ankle. The, the longer you do it or the more times you do it, the easier it gets. And, uh, and, and so the tendons loosen up and you're, you're, you're more flexible to that end and more prone to believe the lie that the non-ultimate things you think are life and death really are life and death. Well, the Bible introduces this concept called wisdom in the Old Testament. And wisdom is kind of God's antidote to that toxic kind of thinking. And wisdom suggests that, um, no, no, the, the caution that you instinctively feel to live a certain way, the, the reticence that you feel to, to walk a straight and narrow path, to, to preserve your life and the lives of your community, the, the, the careful consideration that you think is right and you should have about life and your life and others' lives, that's from God, that's real. But be careful to discern what really matters from what might not matter. And, and the Bible talks about wisdom in this way. There's a few examples from Proverbs about what wisdom is. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. You live proudly, carelessly, uh, and you'll be disgraced. But if you live a humble life, that's wisdom. Another example is the fear of the Lord. That, that just it doesn't mean, oh my gosh, it means, it means a proper posture before the Almighty. As a, as a human being, there's one proper posture before Almighty God, and that's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. It's a proper position that says, I'm not God, you're God. We're good? I'm not God, you're God. And so you're not terrified of, of God, but, but there's a proper positioning. That's the beginning of wisdom. And then another example is, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say fear evil. It doesn't say fear sin. It doesn't say fear Satan. It says fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's wisdom from a biblical perspective. And that is one of the ways that we move past uh, the, the world's uh, uh, default and some of our default on uh, stress and anxiety. Here's what I mean. We should be honest about the fact that most of the things that trigger us are worldly, earthly concerns. And the Bible is clear that the only thing that's really worth our worry and worth our anxiety is spiritual and eternal. Jesus put it this way, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. For years, I grew up in church, right? Even though I wasn't a Christian until eight years ago. For years, I thought Jesus was saying to be afraid of Satan. But Satan is a fool. He's a punk. He's a, he's a copycat. He can't even make his own world. He just has to screw up God's world. And, and, and he's a liar, Jesus is, again, reiterating to the only one to fear is God. And this is a beautiful message in light of the gospel. It's not that Jesus is saying you should always walk around terrified of God. Jesus is saying the only one you really have to fear is God. And he's saying it days before he went to the cross for every one of us, you included, 
regardless of your religious identity today, we believe Jesus went to the cross and took with him to the cross every burden, every debt, every sin, every shame, everything that God could ever be mad at you about. And he took it and it died with him on the cross. And so in light of the gospel, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell is good news, not bad news. And it should relieve anxiety instead of adding to it. And so wisdom isn't just a total lack of anxiety or free-for-all. Wisdom is just discernment about what really is worth our time and worry and what isn't. And if you don't know what it's like to know the wisdom of God, the good news is that you don't have to generate it yourself or come up with it or fake it till you make it, none of that. Wisdom, according to the Bible, is a gift from God that he gives freely. It's not about being a smart guy or a Christian kid or whatever. This is what the brother of Jesus said. If any of you lacks wisdom, just ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So according to wisdom, all that really matters is intimacy with God. That's the ultimate. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else is gravy. All that really matters is intimacy with God. Okay, the second thing I think is important to say about uh, stress and and, and, uh, stress and anxiety related to change is that there is a point at which it becomes toxic and takes over and it's destructive to us and we know this. But I think it's important to us that we recognize this uh, openly. Uh, Full disclosure, a little testimonial here. I have never been the kind of person who's self-described anxious. In fact, I've always taken a lot of pride. There's that word from before. A lot of pride, the kind of pride that comes before disgrace. I've taken a lot of pride in not being anxious. I've always been the guy that's like, I'm so sorry you're worried, but I just, I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Like... Like I have some kind of superhuman strength or ability or something. I've been condescending, dismissive. Even as a pastor, I confess and regret how dismissive I've been of people who struggle openly with anxiety. If you struggle openly with anxiety, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. You're a hero. You're the only honest one in the room. Everybody else is just struggling quietly in secret, pretending. And most guys who say we're, we're good at, at not being anxious or we're just really good at hiding, we're just really good at compartmentalizing to the extent that we just pack it down somewhere, pack away that anxiety, pack away that insecurity, pack it all the way someplace deep down, and then one day it pops up out of nowhere. Surprise! Like when the dog like, doesn't go outside to do his business. What are you doing? And the dog's like, I'm sorry, it was just once, man. Like, what's, what's up? Like, what, are you okay? Like, you know? Or you scream at your kids or you get irritable with your wife or whatever. Like, like it comes up eventually. It's not that you're good at handling anxiety. It's you're good at hiding it. Because we all have those, those triggers and, and, and levers. And when, when we let anxiety take over, it does get toxic for us. Now, the gift of this year for me has been God breaking me of my need to hide my anxiety. And life had to get just hard enough for God to break me. I've had a pretty good, easy life. I wouldn't, I think I kind of won the, the lottery as far as my place and privilege are concerned. Like, there's not one facet of my life that could really be described as oppressed or at a disadvantage. 
I mean, I grew up in a trailer home, but it was a happy home. And, and I, so, so I guess if I wanted to find some victimization, well, I, I probably could, but I've, ha- I've had such an easy life, which is good and bad because you can uh, create a facade pretty quickly that you're impenetrable, that you, you, you're invincible. This, this year broke me because I, I was out of my depth. I didn't know how to lead this church that I love, this church that I moved my family across the country to start, this church that, that was my first step after becoming a Christian in 2013. We moved here in 2014 to do this. And so I was faced with all these realities all of a sudden that a whole bunch of people, at least it felt to me, were suddenly depending on me to come up with the answers to lead this church that everybody's invested in into the future. I didn't have the answers. My wife and I both work here, right? So our whole family's livelihood is connected to this church that was suddenly imperiled by this situation and the short runway that we were given for the story to take off. And so all kinds of doubts, all kinds of questions, all kinds of lies Lies were being whispered into my ear by our spiritual enemy, the devil, and I was believing them in the dark moments, which is what happens. You start believing the lies a little bit, and then you start, you start to think, well, maybe the things I've always wondered about myself in the dark times, maybe it's true. Maybe my conversion's not as real as I thought it was. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe the things my detractors have said about me are true, or, or, or maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut instead of speaking out against denominational corruption. That's kind of what got us in this mess, if you don't know the history. I gave a talk and spoke out against denominational corruption. Next thing I knew, we need to find a new home, and those things are not unrelated at all. Maybe I should have just been a good boy and not put this church that I love and my family in harm's way. All those things were, were on my mind as I struggled with anxiety through this year. And and, and a lot of the symptoms that I described earlier were symptoms that I experienced this year, many of them for the first time. But I'm receiving these these revelations as a gift and not a curse because you know what this year is going to do for me? It's going to make me a better pastor and a better friend, a better spouse, a better brother in Christ I will no longer be prone to dismiss someone else's anxiety because I've now walked that path. I've experienced that. That's how God turns everything around. Even the dark days, he can turn around into something beautiful and good if we let him, if we hold on. I was talking with a friend of mine who's struggled with anxiety a lot of her life, and, and I, again, I've not always been there for her like I should have been, and, and I was describing what I've been feeling and the chest pains and the shortness of breath and the stay up all night and the, oh, I'm just, it's such a struggle, and she just looks at me with this deadpan look like, that's what I've been saying, Eric, for years. And I'm like, this is what you've been talking about? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for telling you to suck it up and get it together. <laughs> My bad. Uh, but this is, this is a gift, not a curse, because you start to see what it's like to walk in this darkness of anxiety. You start to see the lies for what they are. You start to see how if you let it, anxiety does become incredibly toxic to us. Jesus warned us about this toxicity of anxiety, and this is how he put it. I want you to listen close. Listen close to what he says and what he doesn't say about worrying. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So he's like, 
not only can you not add an hour to your life, but now we know it takes away hours from your life. Can you add an hour to your life by worrying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The only ultimate thing is intimacy with God. Everything else is gravy. Therefore, he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Does he say worry is a sin? Does he say if you are anxious, you should feel even worse for feeling anxious? Like when, when sometimes when people are Christians and they're, they struggle with anxiety, sometimes I feel like the church makes it worse. Like, yeah, I know you're anxious, and now you're probably going to hell. And they're like, oh, my God, that too? What? It's like one more thing to worry about. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, just worry about the right things. He says, today has enough trouble for itself. In other words, worry about what you can, like what's, what's gonna, what you can affect, what you can impact, what you can change, what's real. Not some imaginary monster called tomorrow that you create in your own imagination, right? So there's grace in these words, all right? So we have to watch this because it can be so toxic. Okay, I need to move along here to my third and final point, okay? So the third thing I want to say about stress and anxiety brought on by change is that God's antidote, according to Scripture, to stress and anxiety is self-control. Self-control, all right? So self-control is also called self-denial um, and, and uh, self-discipline in the Bible. And cover to cover, the Bible lifts up self-control as um, a gift from God. Uh, Galatians 5 calls self-control one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, when and if you receive Jesus as the king of your life, so some of y'all have other kings that you're serving, and that's I, I, totally fine and respectable, but I hope at one point, Soon, you decide to make Jesus the king of your life. You don't even have to do anything. You just receive him as the Lord of your life, the one whom your life revolves around. At that point, his promise is to offer you as a free gift, his Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit in your spirit, in your person, in your heart. And then the natural outcome of receiving the Holy Spirit are these fruits of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. Self-control is just kind of um, dis- defined as the ability and the power to say no to something that you would have every right and ability to say yes to, according to the world around you. No one would blame you for taking it. No one would blame you for feeling it. No one would blame you for claiming it. But self-control says, even though no one would blame me and I have the power to take this thing, I choose not to. As a declaration of independence, and bless you, and a, a, a declaration of, like, I'm not reliant on this. Like, like, I can go without it. That's why fasting is so important. Fasting is such a deep and, and important spiritual um, ritual, um, not because uh, I can lose five pounds a month with intermittent fasting. Like, y'all, are, some people are just stealing Christian ideas for other reasons. Like, fasting is really a spiritual discipline that says, I choose self-control. I walk in the path of Jesus, who who demonstrated the most shocking example of self-restraint in history, because Jesus had the power of Almighty God at his fingertips, and even though people drove him crazy, even though people drove nails through his hands and feet, he refused to do what he was 
rightfully capable of doing, which is smite everybody. And he forgave and he loved and he healed. That's self-control in its ultimate form. And that's who uh, we're called to be as well. This is what the Bible says about self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks it. You're defenseless without it. Or 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said, for the spirit of God gives us, uh, the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, self-control, self-restraint, right? And so, um, what is the relationship between self-control and anxiety brought on by change? We've already, we've already said today that, that a lot of the things we are convinced are true under the influence of anxiety and stress are lies from the pit of hell. Self-control helps us to discern by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit the truth from the lies. And it gives us the power to say no to the kinds of things, the kinds of lies we have every right to believe about ourselves or the world around us or our circumstances, to say no to those things in favor of the truth. And self-control, like wisdom, is a gift from God that you don't have to generate yourself. All you have to do is receive it. So the beauty of living under the influence of the Holy Spirit as opposed to living under the influence of of anxiety is that anxiety brings captivity while the Spirit brings freedom. And if you've never known what that's like because of your worries and fears, don't let your worries and fears make you more worried and afraid. All you need to do is receive Jesus as the King of your life and receive the Holy Spirit that he promised you. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit will bring and bear these fruits like self-control, that liberates you from the grasp of anxiety. Now, um, another thing I've learned this year is that under the influence of God's Spirit, He will lead you to these things I've decided to call breadcrumbs on the path. Even a dark path, He will drop breadcrumbs like a friend saying, you know, you know I see you struggling and it's going to be okay. And just at a moment when I was ready to let go this year, in the moments after my wife and I hadn't slept for two, two or three straight nights, and, and it just felt like it was, uh, we couldn't do it. We didn't have what it took. We would meet with our board, a board of faithful believers, and they would say, no, we've got this. It's okay. And, and, and the Holy Spirit would surround us with community, reminding us that no matter how bad it gets or how dark it feels, we're never alone on this journey. And one of the most shocking examples of this was this random message that I received out of nowhere recently on Twitter, of all places, this person I've never met in my life, but who apparently follows us on Twitter. And, and um, I think she tweeted me one time about, about my first, the first book, 40 Days of Doubt, but I hadn't heard from her in three years. And she wrote to me after receiving one of our emails about this transition, and I wanted to read part of it, and I want you to hear what she wrote to me, but she wrote it to us, as you'll hear by the end of this message. And then I'll close with this. This is what this friend I've never met uh, <laughs> wrote to me. Hey, Eric, I saw your church update and wanted to say you all have come to mind recently. At the most challenging moments, 
I have faced circumstances that had me feeling the squeeze of nauseating pressure one moment and deep calm and peace the next. That, by the way, is textbook how to talk to someone with anxiety. I've, I've felt it too. I know something of what it's like. Whatever it's worth, a couple of images came to mind, and I wanted to share them with you. One was of Mary and Joseph, who had their personal timetable so profoundly disrupted and accelerated. Between angels and Rome, the timing probably felt horrible. Nine months pregnant and traveling to fulfill a government requirement without any Starbucks bathrooms or even a truck stop on the way. And then she wrote, every place to stay, overbooked. (laughs) That one hits different right now. (laughs) No one wants to birth a baby like that, Eric. She put her precious newborn in a feeding trough. Eric, your church is traveling with Mary and Joseph. You're on a pilgrimage. It's not what you thought it would look like. The timing seems weird and deeply inconvenient. You want to give the best, and it's possible that you'll be putting your young congregation in a feeding trough. This is how Christ arrived, how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you have to meet in a barn, meet in a barn. You'll find Jesus waxing nostalgic about the mashup of doxology and manure. (laughs) Who writes like this? (laughs) The Holy Spirit. If you have to be a migrant church, be a migrant church on the move. Waiting from week to week to see where the... (laughs) where the pop-up food truck of the body and blood of Christ will turn up next. You don't need the old church sign. She had seen that our church sign was removed. God will provide plenty of signs and wonders. And then she, I think she, I think she stalks me a little because she knew that I hate some Christmas songs. And then she talks about, okay, so then she says, I get hating on the little drummer boy. which my whole Christmas Eve sermon three years ago was hating on the little drummer boy. But I actually love its sweet message. I have no gift to bring. I'll just play before the king. I can't imagine how tired you all must be. The battles you've waged, knuckles bloodied, the craving for respite. In the meantime, just walk the way of Emmanuel conform to the likeness of God who travels near to us. Keep these things, and like the mother of God, ponder them in your heart. You all are not traveling alone. It's the gift and the beauty of walking with the Holy Spirit, even through trying times. You never walk that journey on your own. Even when the enemy tells you you're alone, you know by the wisdom of God that it is a lie from the pit of hell that you never actually walk alone when the Holy Spirit walks alongside of you. I pray that whatever you're dealing with or up against, whatever anxiety or stress, the changes in your life have brought on, that these words, this message today has brought you some hope, and that maybe if you're looking for a lifeline or a branch to grab before you hit the ground, I pray that you'll see that it's been there all along, and that God is always patient and ready to receive you no matter how long it's been since you've had intimacy with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this 
reminder from your word today that we are never, in fact, alone, that we're always loved, always cared for, always welcome to come back home. Father, for those who are really wrapped up in anxiety and stress or in a season of radical change and transition, I pray a special prayer right now that they would rely more than ever on you and that they would reject the lies of the enemy and that they would choose to trust the promises in your word. We thank you for your wisdom, for your Holy Spirit, for your son Jesus, and we pray for the courage to receive all three. We pray in his name. Amen.